0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh, one.com.
1: Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too. So let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch off from the Ohio lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker play the game and you could win money up to $2 million with more than 88 million in prizes ranging from 50 to $500 money maker cuts right to the cash lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations play responsibly. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
0: It was December 26, 1974, and the winter sun had just disappeared behind the dunes west of Los Molinos, Mexico. The 30-some families who lived at the settlement were putting their children to bed when they heard the explosion.
1: The colonists rushed outside to see a column of smoke billowing from the edge of town. The tower house, an old three-story building, was on fire. Within minutes, they formed a human chain between the tower house and a nearby well.
0: As the flames receded, young men scaled the building to throw sand and water down into the burning living room. 16 year old manassas mendez climbed to the third story landing in the bright orange glow of the fire his silhouette was visible for miles around
1: suddenly manassas tumbled from the roof to the ground below the colonists rushed to help the screaming boy in the chaos no one noticed the bullet wound above his knee
0: out of nowhere deafening blasts of gunfire filled the night Panicking colonists scattered and ran, only to be cut down by the hail of bullets.
1: The gunmen emerged from the darkness and made their way through the moaning wounded. One boy cried louder than the rest. Manassas still lay at the base of the tower, screaming and clutching his shattered leg.
0: The cold muzzle of a shotgun pressed against the boy's chest. Still moaning, he looked up into the face of the gunmen standing over him. A sudden blast echoed across the yard, silencing the teenage boy forever.
1: Hi, I'm Greg Polson.
0: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
1: And this is Cults, a podcast Original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. Today, we're looking at the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God, otherwise known as the Church of the Lamb, a polygamous cult led by Irvale LeBaron, also known as the Mormon Manson.
0: Last week, we followed the early life of Irvale LeBaron and the rise of his cult. As a young man, Ervil served as a second in command in the Church of the Firstborn, which was headed by his older brother, Joel. In 1972, 47-year-old Ervil orchestrated the murder of his brother, Joel, and established the Church of the Lamb.
1: This week, we'll investigate Ervil's church and the doctrine of blood atonement that led them to commit a spree of murders across the American Southwest.
0: You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
1: On February 14th, 1974, Ervil LeBaron emerged from prison and stepped blinking into the harsh Mexican sunlight. At 49 years old, his hair started to recede, though he was still as tall and imposing as ever.
0: His time in jail had not tempered his anger toward his 44-year-old brother, Verlin. After murdering their older brother, Joel, Ervil had expected to take over his Church of the Firstborn. Instead, the Firstborners testified against Ervil and chose Verlin as their new prophet.
1: Ervil had had plenty of time to think about Verlin's betrayal during the nine months he spent in prison awaiting trial for Joel's murder. While he was determined to bring his brother's church to heal, he wasn't going to wait around for the Mexican authorities to change their mind about letting him go. He fled north to the United States with his handful of loyal followers, 12 wives, and nearly four dozen children in tow.
0: Just a quick note, because of the nomadic and sheltered lifestyle of the Church of the Lamb, many of the specific ages and birth dates of Ervil's followers, wives, and children are unknown.
1: For the next year, Ervil was constantly on the move. He stayed in dingy motel rooms and shabby houses rented by his wives and followers, who set up bases across the American Southwest.
0: The largest cells, usually no more than a handful of adults and several dozen of Ervil's children, took root in San Diego, California, Yuma, Arizona, and Ogden, Utah.
1: Ervil was paranoid that the firstborners would retaliate for Joel's murder and warned his followers to expect an attack at any moment. To prepare, they spent hours each week learning to use explosives and high-powered rifles from Dean Best, a Lamb of God follower who had served two tours in Vietnam.
0: The threat of an attack soon consumed every aspect of his followers' lives. They took false identities and avoided unnecessary interactions with neighbors. Children were forbidden from forming friendships with classmates and were pulled from school by fifth or sixth grade. By isolating his followers from the outside world and demanding constant vigilance, Ervil created an oppressive cloud of paranoia that made rational thought nearly impossible.
1: Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
0: Thanks, Greg. As we've discussed in previous episodes, many cult leaders use paranoia and isolation to control their followers. According to Steve Hassan, a licensed mental health counselor and former cult member, these techniques program followers to think in simplistic black and white, us versus them terms. They depersonalize and demonize their enemies.
1: Ervil was not just training his followers to defend themselves. He was teaching them to see themselves as soldiers and the firstborners as enemy combatants.
0: While Dean Vest was busy turning Ervil's followers into an army, Ervil continued work on a lengthy essay he'd started while incarcerated in Ensenada. In May of 1974, he completed his manifesto titled, Hour of Crisis, Day of Vengeance.
1: A few days later, Ervil sent a group of followers to deliver the essay to his enemies at Colonial Le Baron. The firstborners were shocked to see the men behind Joel's murder boldly walking their streets, handing out copies of Hour of Crisis. Within the 86 pages of rambling, sanctimonious prose, Ervil made a bold promise. The sword of vengeance will hang over the heads of all those who should fail to hear the word of the Lord.
0: Ervil's Day of Vengeance arrived on December 26, 1974. Four of his followers, brothers Duane and Mark Chinoweth, Don Sullivan and Eddie Marston, drove south across the border in a stolen pickup truck loaded down with Molotov cocktails and enough guns to arm a small militia.
1: At 9.20 p.m., they snuck into Los Molinos, the church of the firstborn's homestead and set fire to the three-story tower house. While the firstborners rushed out of their homes and worked to put out the blaze, the Lambs of God opened fire.
0: Verlin's first wife, 31-year-old Charlotte LeBaron, was at home with her young children when she heard the gunshots. She ran to her window and saw the headlights of the Lambs' pickup truck making its way down the dirt road to her house.
1: Charlotte roused the children and dragged them out the back door. From the cover of a nearby ditch, the family listened as the gunmen opened fire on their home. After riddling the walls and windows with enough bullets to kill anything inside, they lobbed Molotov cocktails onto the roof.
0: As the house burned, the gunmen turned tail and fled, tossing boards of nails behind them to dissuade any would-be pursuers. Since Los Molinos did not have a working phone to contact the police, neither the police nor fire department had been called. The firstborners gathered the wounded in their own pickup trucks to rush them to the nearest clinic.
1: Several homes had been burned to the ground in the raid. 15 firstborners were shot, including a 78-year-old woman. Two people, 16-year-old Manassas Mendez and 24-year-old Edmundo Aguilar had been killed.
0: But as far as Ervil was concerned, the raid was a failure. Verlin wasn't at Los Molinos at all on December 26th. He was over 2,000 miles away in a safe house in Nicaragua.
1: Ervil was furious that his brother had escaped his grasp and was eager to try again. For the moment, however, the prophet had more urgent matters to attend to.
0: The sudden spike in the church's violent behavior didn't sit well with all of its members. Noemi Zerate, the wife of one of Ervil's lieutenants, had never been fully on board with Ervil's violent rhetoric. After the raid on Los Molinos, she knew she
1: had to get out. In her memoir, cult member Rina Chinewith recalled the sudden transformation. Noemi just sort of went crazy. She reportedly began threatening to go to the authorities with what she knew about the group. Word of this must have gotten back to Ervil. He ordered her silenced.
0: One evening in January 1975, two of Ervil's wives, 35-year-old Vonda White and 46-year-old Yolanda Rios, invited Noemi to join them for a drive through the San Pedro foothills near Ensenada. The three women had been friends for years. But as Noemi was about to learn, their loyalty to their husband and prophet came first.
1: As dusk fell, Vonda suddenly steered the truck off the road into a narrow ravine and ordered Noemi to get out.
0: Confused and frightened, Noemi obeyed. A moment later, Vonda emerged from the front seat with a 38 caliber pistol in her hand.
1: Herbal's 10th wife didn't stop firing until Noemi lay still, her blood seeping into the canyon dirt.
0: The tough earth made digging difficult, and it took several hours for the LeBaron women to produce a shallow grave. They covered Noemi's body and left to rejoin their families in Ensenada.
1: The next week, Irva LeBaron received word that Noemi's murder had gone off without a hitch. The prophet stretched his arms skyward and, smiling, declared, You don't know how pleased the Lord is that that traitor is dead.
0: While the problem of the loose-lipped wife had been solved, Ervil's thirst for blood was far from sated. The Mormon Manson was just getting started.
1: Coming up, Ervil LeBaron takes on a host of new enemies. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, back to the story.
0: By the spring of 1975, Fifty-year-old Ervil LeBaron was in dire financial stress. The legal battle in Mexico had left his funds severely depleted, and the half-dozen cells of Church of the Lamb followers he had established around the country were not bringing in much money.
1: A few months earlier, he had instructed the Lambs of God to open up a series of appliance repair stores around the country, where they would work with their children to earn tithes for the church. But opening the stores was expensive, and the stores were still getting off the ground.
0: Just as he was beginning to panic, the answer to Ervil's problems appeared. Victor Chenoweth, the brother of Ervil's fifth wife, was a successful businessman in Ogden, Utah. Ervil was determined to bring him deeper into the fold of the Church of the Lamb and hoped that the Chenoweth's tithes would finally bring some financial security.
1: He accomplished his goal by offering Victor something he had plenty of girls. In 1975, Ervil's 15-year-old daughter, Rebecca, became Victor's second wife. A few months later, the bond between the two men was made even stronger by a second marriage. Ervil took Victor's youngest sister, 17-year-old Rena Chenoweth, as his 13th and final wife.
0: Their union was not merely a matter of convenience for the prophet. Years later, Rena admitted that Ervil had started molesting her when she was just 12 years old.
1: Like so many of Ervil's followers, both Rena Chinnewith and Rebecca LeBaron would eventually find themselves involved in their prophet's murders, although in significantly different ways.
0: That Ervil was able to convince so many people to kill for him is even more remarkable, considering the background of his followers. They had no history of criminal behavior.
1: Before killing Noah Miserante, Fonda White was a beloved schoolteacher. The Chinuit brothers and the other young men who participated in the raid on Los Molinos were described by their neighbors as kind, generous, hard-working people who would have been at home on any cul-de-sac in America.
0: The two traits Ervil's followers did have in common before falling into his grasp was a devout commitment to the Mormon faith and an inclination toward fundamentalism. All of them were frustrated with the mainstream LDS church, which seemed willing to abandon its tenets whenever they became inconvenient.
1: The fundamental skill that made Erbil a successful cult leader was his ability to weaponize his followers' established beliefs. He drew them in by espousing strict adherence to the teachings of Joseph Smith, starting with the practice of polygamy, and slowly introduced them to more extreme rhetoric.
0: According to social psychologist Alexandra Stein, cult leaders indoctrinate and gain control over followers by creating total ideology, a system in which an exclusive belief system is controlled entirely by the leader. She explained that total ideologies are created through a gradual escalation of lies. Quote, The fiction starts slowly, of course, with mere propaganda. After propaganda comes indoctrination. Should you voice your concerns, a network of monitors will turn you in for re-education. Should that re-education fail then you are cut from the group, never to speak with your former compatriots again.
1: Once Ervil's followers had begun to accept his total ideology, he could rely on their faith to do part of the work for him. According to the LDS Church, Joseph Smith and the prophets who follow him are God's messengers on earth and essentially infallible. So once Ervil got his followers to believe he was the prophet, to even question him became a betrayal of their most deeply held principles.
0: And Ervil leveraged his followers' beliefs even further than that. His claim that he possessed the right to kill his enemies was founded in the doctrine of blood atonement.
1: The concept was introduced on September 21, 1856, by Brigham Young, as part of the Mormon Reformation. In a fire and brimstone sermon typical of the LDS Church's second prophet, he said... There are sins that men commit for which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world. If they had their eyes open to see their true condition, they would be perfectly willing to have their blood spilt upon the ground, that the smoke thereof might ascend to heaven as an offering for their sins. I know, when you hear my brethren telling about cutting people off from the earth, that you consider it a strong doctrine, but it is to save them, not to destroy them.
0: With this sermon, Brigham Young introduced the idea that a person's sins could be forgiven by shedding their blood. Transgressions that merited blood atonement included murder, theft, fornication, adultery, and apostasy.
1: The controversial concept was essentially abandoned by the late 1800s. Today, the LDS Church contends that the doctrine was primarily a rhetorical device to underscore the seriousness of major sins like murder, and was never actually used by the church to sanction acts of violence.
0: But without the doctrine of blood atonement, it's unlikely that Ervil could have ever convinced his followers to kill for him. By invoking the words of Brigham Young, Ervil offered them the only justification they needed to murder their own friends and family members. Simply put, It was for their own good.
1: Emboldened by the successful murder of Noemi, Ervil started behaving less like a cult leader and more like a mafia boss. He visited the leaders of various polygamous sects and demanded they join the Church of the Lamb and pay tithes to him. While most of these groups were composed of no more than a handful of people, some, such as the Church of Rulon Allred, numbered in the thousands.
0: But neither the large nor small churches had the patience for Ervil's demands or threats. When none of the rival prophets paid up, Ervil considered them all candidates for atonement.
1: One of these rivals was Bob Simons, a polygamist who lived on a spacious 65-acre ranch near Grantsville, Utah. Like Ervil, he claimed to have inherited the mantle of Joseph Smith. He also believed that God chose him to bring the LDS faith to Native American tribes.
0: While he had made no real effort to do so, the rancher could regularly be seen wandering his property, shouting in gibberish that he believed to be a Native American dialect. Ervil took one look at Bob's land and decided it was the perfect spot for a new Church of the Lamb headquarters.
1: He started visiting the rancher and trying to convert him, Bob was happy to hear Ervil out, but refused to yield his claim on the title of prophet. Ervil soon grew tired of leaving each meeting empty-handed and demanded that Bob pay him tithes or face God's wrath.
0: Unable to settle their theological differences through debate, the men sought other means to demonstrate their power. At one meeting, they stripped off their shirts and grappled on the dirt floor while Bob's wives shrieked from the sidelines.
1: Bob's hospitality met its limits when he caught Ervil flirting with his second wife. He kicked the prophet off his property and sent him a furious message. Consider this letter to be an open challenge to your power and your authority. Do with it what you may.
0: Ervil was happy to oblige. Months after their spat, one of Ervil's followers, Lloyd Sullivan, contacted Bob out of the blue. After a period of prayer and reflection, he had realized that Bob, not Ervil, was the Lord's one true prophet. His newfound faith was cemented by a meeting with a group of Native American chiefs who had received visions directing them to a white prophet.
1: Excited that the moment to fulfill his destiny had come at last, Bob prepared to meet the chiefs. Sullivan picked him up from his ranch on the evening of April 23, 1975. They drove several miles out through the flat, barren desert until they reached the appointed meeting place.
0: Sullivan pulled off the road, parked beside a lonely pile of boulders, and announced that he was going to relieve himself. Bob got out and walked ahead of the car a few yards, peering off into the moonlit plateau.
1: Of course, the chiefs were not coming. While Bob stood staring into the distance, two of Ervil's followers crept out from behind the boulders, One of them pointed a shotgun at the back of Bob's skull and blew him away.
0: Hours later, the killers informed their prophet that the task was done. Ervil was overjoyed and accepted the $4 taken from the dead man's wallet. Bob Simons had finally made his donation to the Church of the Lamb.
1: While the murders of Noah Miserate and Bob Simons brought Ervil nothing but delight, The next assassination was more painful. In the summer of 1975, he learned that his loyal field marshal, Dean Vest, was considering leaving the church.
0: Dean Vest was an intimidating physical specimen. At 36, he was 6'7 and 280 pounds of muscle. He wore platform heel boots to make himself appear even taller and frequently told tall tales about his tours in Vietnam that painted himself as a deadly, battle-hardened warrior.
1: Dean's loyalty to the church might never have wavered if it were not for his wife, Cheryl. She had never been a fan of Ervil's views on women and had been trying for years to get Dean to leave the church. By December of 1974, she'd had enough and left for Washington State with their two children.
0: Dean was heartbroken. He started shirking his training sessions, spending nearly all of his time repairing an old salvage barge he had bought. He told his friends that once the boat was ready, he would sail up the coast and reunite with his family.
1: Ervil was furious. As his military commander, Dean Best knew more about the church's crimes than almost any of his other followers. Furthermore, Ervil had counted on him to sell the barge and give the money to the church.
0: Ervil was not going to allow his military commander and $5,000 walk away. He summoned his 10th wife, 36-year-old Vonda White, and told her that he'd had a revelation from God. Dean Vest had to die.
1: On June 16, 1975, Dean received word that his family had been in a car accident in Washington. On his way to the airport, he stopped at Vonda White's house to pick up a few boxes she was storing for him.
0: Vonda was home making lunch for her six children when Dean arrived. When he said he was going to Washington to join Cheryl, Vonda knew that he would never return to the Church of the Lamb. She would not get another chance to perform the task her husband had given her.
1: After the children finished eating, Vonda sent them upstairs with a warning to stay out of the way of the adults for the next hour. Then, she calmly asked Dean if he would take a look at her dishwasher, which had been malfunctioning. As the massive soldier stooped over the sink, the five-foot, eight-inch, six-month-pregnant Vonda pulled a 38 caliber Colt revolver from the pocket of her maternity frock.
0: The first bullet caught Dean in the lower back, piercing his liver. He spun toward Vonda and she fired again, hitting him in the right lung. As the enormous man stumbled forward, a torrent of blood erupted from his mouth, spraying the walls and kitchenette. Vonda leapt back in surprise, but was unable to prevent the splatter from staining her shoes and smock.
1: Dean slid helplessly to the tile floor. Banda stepped gingerly over the pooling blood, tiptoed toward the dying man, and fired a third and final bullet into his skull. The pregnant mother removed her rubber gloves and called the police.
0: When Lieutenant T. Wayne Fowler arrived at the shabby house, he was shocked by the sheer amount of blood covering the kitchen floor. Vonda claimed that she'd been upstairs with her children when she'd heard the gunshots. She insisted that Dean Best was murdered by assassins from the Church of the Firstborn.
1: Vonda and her family were subjected to the best interrogators the police could throw at them. The children, prepared by a lifetime of lectures, were as steadfast as their mother and refused to admit anything incriminating.
0: Lieutenant Fowler was sure that Vonda was lying. He'd spotted the blood on her shoes, but the lab was unable to match it to Dean Vest. After 72 hours, he didn't have enough evidence to charge her. He released her on the condition that she would not leave town. By the next day, Vonda and her family had disappeared.
1: They met up with Ervil at the Church of the Lamb Enclave in Denver. Ervil praised his wife and proclaimed that her loyalty had earned her a spot in the celestial kingdom of God.
0: The murder of Dean Vest in June of 1975 marked the crest of a brief but intense reign of terror perpetrated by Ervil's followers. Starting with the raid on Los Molinos, they had killed five people within the span of seven months.
1: But now it was time to lay low. Fonda was still wanted for questioning in connection with the death of Dean Best. For the first time, Ervil's fears that he was being hunted gained some validity.
0: Meanwhile, the firstborners led by Ervil's brother were lobbying the Mexican and United States governments to take action against Ervil. On March 2nd, 1976, 51-year-old Ervil was driving through Chihuahua, Mexico with one of the men who'd participated in Joel's murder. A firstborner who happened to be crossing the street spotted the lambs of God and raced to call the police.
1: Before Ervil knew what was happening, he was pulled over and handcuffed. The firstborners rejoiced. At long last, Ervil was charged with orchestrating the raid on Los Molinos.
0: The trial started on March 6th and dragged through the spring and summer of 1976. A dozen firstborners took the stand recounting the horrific attack that had left 15 wounded and two young men dead. But the most compelling testimony came from someone not present at the raid. Ervil's 84-year-old mother told the courtroom that her son was a killer.
1: While the firstborners lined up to testify against Ervil, his own followers flew to his aid. They pulled what money they had and smuggled it into Ervil's prison cell. That money found its way into the pocket of Ervil's judge. On November 11th, all charges against the prophet were dropped based on insufficient evidence.
0: Ervil's second brush with the law only increased his sense of invulnerability. He had stood trial twice and twice he had walked free. If anything, the near misses were evidence that God was protecting him
1: but if Ervil was being shielded by a divine force, the protection wasn't extended to his family. A problem was manifesting at the Church of the Lamb's new chapter in Dallas, Texas. This time, it involved one of the prophet's own children.
0: Now 17 years old, Rebecca LeBaron was not the easygoing, happy girl she'd been when her father married her off to Victor Chenoweth. She had spent the last two years being ignored by her new husband and tormented by his first wife, Nancy. They relegated Rebecca to the role of a babysitter and frequently mocked her for
1: her weight. The teenage girl responded to the harsh treatment with angry outbursts and temper tantrums. She suffered from bouts of depression and began shoplifting and binge eating. When she gave birth to a son, Nancy claimed the child for herself and had Rebecca sent away to work at one of the church's appliance repair shops in Dallas.
0: Separated from her child, the young mother began acting out in ways that were inconvenient for Ervil. As her depression deepened, her shoplifting habits increased. She frequently lashed out at customers and coworkers and refused to work. When challenged, she threatened to go to the cops to tell them everything she knew about the Church of the Lamb.
1: As Ervil's daughter, Rebecca may have believed that she was untouchable. While her childhood and teenage years had been marked by poverty and hard labor, she had constantly been told that she was one of God's specially chosen celestial children.
0: And there was another reason that Rebecca might have expected special treatment. She was currently pregnant with her second child. But as far as Ervil was concerned, neither this nor the fact that she was his flesh and blood gave her the right to threaten his church.
1: One day in mid-April of 1977, Ervil told 17-year-old Rebecca that she was being sent to rejoin her baby in Denver. The teenage mother was overcome with joy and cried as she thanked her father.
0: Ervil charged Eddie Marston and Duane Chinoweth with taking Rebecca to the airport and lent them his new car. On the drive, Rebecca gushed about how excited she was to see her son again. She was going to take him on a trip to Mexico where she would give birth to her next child.
1: Suddenly, the men pulled off the road and leapt into the back seat. Rebecca fought for her life, thrashing and kicking as the men looped a rope around her neck. After nearly 20 minutes, Rebecca finally went limp.
0: The men buried her in Oklahoma State Park, then drove back to Dallas. When they returned the car to Ervil, he was furious. The killers had left bloodstains in the trunk.
1: With Rebecca's death, Ervil made it clear that no one was immune from the doctrine of blood atonement.
0: But one man had managed to defy God's punishment for years, something that Ervil was determined to rectify. It was time for Verlin LeBaron, the false prophet of the firstborn church and Ervil's baby brother, to
1: Coming up, Ervil makes a second attempt on his younger brother's life.
0: With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: the conclusion of our story.
0: By the spring of 1977, 52-year-old Erval LeBaron's quest for financial success was finally coming to fruition. The Church of the Lamb's appliance repair stores across the southwestern United States were performing well, marking the first truly successful business venture of his 52 years.
1: The sudden boom in business was all thanks to the dedication of his followers. They worked long hours in dirty, unheated shops. By the age of 10, their children were pulled from school and put to work with their parents. Virtually all proceeds went to the church, leaving little for the colonists themselves. They survived almost exclusively on a diet of tortillas and mashed black beans.
0: Dr. Stanley Kath, a psychiatry professor at Tufts University who treats former cult members, explained how work plays a role in keeping cult members from questioning their situation. Keeping devotees constantly fatigued, deprived of sensory input, and suffering protein deprivation, working extremely long hours in street solicitation or in cult-owned businesses, may induce psychophysiological changes in the brain. The rhythmical movement of the body can lead to altered states of consciousness, and changes in the pressure or vibration pattern of the brain may affect the temporal lobe.
1: Harvard psychiatrist John G. Clark believes that these effects on the brain are significant enough to be considered a new disease, which he calls Cult Conversion Syndrome. According to Clark, the process of being drawn into and living within a cult can induce a trance-like state in which victims become extremely suggestible and susceptible to psychological manipulation.
0: The harder Ervil's followers worked, the easier they became to control. Meanwhile, Ervil just got richer. But despite his newfound wealth, the prophet wasn't satisfied. It had been six years since he had founded the Church of the Lamb, and he had barely expanded his reach beyond a handful of large families. Most galling of all, the false prophet, Verlin, was still alive.
1: In April, Ervil brainstormed yet another attempt on his younger brother's life. He had thought up many over the years. In one, he had planned to have his followers disguise themselves as Mexican police. When they spotted Verlin's car, they would pull him over and shoot him dead.
0: In another, Ervil considered using homemade bombs of methane gas collected from cow manure to blow up a firstborn church with Verlin
1: inside. But Ervil had never had the chance to employ these plans. Verlin was simply too mobile. He had spent the years since the Los Molinos raid hiding out in safe houses in Nicaragua, San Diego, and Mexico.
0: Now, Ervil finally had a plan to draw Verlin out into the open. All he needed was a religious occasion, significant enough that the firstborn leader would have no choice but to attend. And there was one event Ervil was capable of creating all on his own, a funeral.
1: It didn't take long for Ervil to identify the perfect candidate. Rulon Allred was the 71-year-old leader of one of the largest polygamous groups in Salt Lake City, and Allred had already previously angered Ervil by refusing to pay tithes to the Church of the Lamb. His church of over 2,000 worshipers was substantial enough that Verlin would not miss the opportunity to swoop in and try to poach some of his followers.
0: For this assassination, Ervil once again selected the killer from amongst his wives, this time the task fell to 17-year-old Rena Chinoweth.
1: On May 10, 1977, Rena and a friend visited Rulan Allred's homeopathic health clinic in Salt Lake City. Posing as customers, they wore wigs and fake glasses to hide their identity.
0: When Allred stepped out of the back room, Rena didn't hesitate. She raised the 25-caliber pistol Ervil had given her and emptied the clip into the rival prophet.
1: Rulan Allred's funeral was set for four days later, on May 14th, 1977. At two o'clock in the afternoon, three of Ervil's hitmen pulled up outside the Bingham High School auditorium, where the service was being held. Tucked beneath a blanket between the seats were 2 30 .30-caliber machine guns.
0: The plan was simple. They would enter the auditorium from opposite ends, Brandishing their weapons, they would make their way through the crowd until they found Verlin. Anyone who got in the way would be gunned down on the spot.
1: But as the gunmen stared out the car window at the crowds pouring into the auditorium, they realized that they'd been sent on a suicide mission. Over 2,600 mourners had arrived to say goodbye to Rulon Allred. A line of police cars and news vans were parked along the side of the building.
0: The thought of failing Ervil terrified the men, but so did the idea of being gunned down by police in the middle of the Bingham High School auditorium. They started the car and drove away. Ervil was predictably furious.
1: Up until now, the Church of the Lamb had managed to fly below the radar of authorities. Most of their victims' bodies had not yet been found. And so far, only the death of Dean Best had prompted an investigation. But the assassination of Rulan Allred, a beloved religious figure with over 2,000 followers, changed everything.
0: Ervil knew it would only be a matter of time before he became a suspect for Allred's death. He had, after all, publicly threatened the religious leader in the past for refusing to pay tithes to the Church of the Lamb. So before Allred was in the ground, Irvel crossed the border into Mexico.
1: It would prove to be a significant mistake. Many of Irvel's trusted lieutenants had been involved in planning and carrying out the assassination. And when Irvel fled to Mexico, they scattered. With the entirety of their leadership in the wind, several of Irvel's cult cells broke down.
0: Dallas was the first to crumble. And the person most directly responsible was Delfina Salido, Irvel's first wife.
1: Since late April of 1977, Delfina was increasingly concerned with the disappearance of her daughter, Rebecca. After Ervil fled to Mexico, she began asking if any church members knew what had happened to the girl. On June 8th, Delfina's daughter, Lillian, admitted the horrible truth. Rebecca had been murdered on Ervil's orders.
0: Delfina burst into tears. As Ervil's followers rushed to console the grieving mother, she screamed at them and accused them of murdering her child. Their insistence that Rebecca had brought the blood atonement on herself and that she was happier now only made things worse.
1: When Mark Chinnewith announced that he had to make a quick run to the warehouse to fetch something, Delphina froze. One look at her son-in-law's face told her everything she needed to know. They were going to kill her.
0: Delphina immediately stopped crying and apologized for her outburst. She promised that she would conform and keep quiet about Rebecca's death. Her family members, seemingly relieved, left her to her grief.
1: That night, Delphina and her 10-year-old daughter fled the cult's Dallas home. The next morning, she sat down with police and confessed everything she knew.
0: The FBI had been searching for Ervil ever since Rulon Allred's assassination, but the investigation now went into overdrive. For the next two years, multiple law enforcement agencies worked tirelessly to hunt Ervil's followers.
1: Their first target was Rena Chinoweth. Along with several companions, she was arrested and tried for the murder of Rulon Allred. While the evidence against the culprits was strong, the jury found the prosecution's story of an underground war between religious sects unbelievable compared to the testimony of Ervil's 20-year-old eight-month pregnant wife.
0: On March 20th, 1979, the jury acquitted Rena and her companions of all charges. 11 years later, she would publish a tell-all memoir in which she admitted to the murder of Rulon Allred.
1: Other members of Ervil's clan weren't as lucky as Rena. On May 13, 1979, Vonda White was tried for the murder of Dean Vest. She was found guilty and received a life sentence.
0: The law finally caught up with Ervil himself on June 1, 1979. The prophet of the Church of the Lamb was 54 years old when his ranch in the mountains south of Mexico City was raided.
1: When Mexican police handed Ervil over to the U.S. government on June 7th, he was covered in bruises and welts. His captors had spent the last six days beating him to a pulp.
0: His trial for the murder of Rulon Allred began on May 12, 1980. Many of Ervil's followers still defended him and tried to argue that Ervil was not the cult's leader, but a mere layperson in the Church of
1: the Lamb. It was not an easy case to make. A line of Church of the Lamb defectors, including Ervil's own 17-year-old son Isaac, testified that their prophet had ordered the deaths of over a dozen people.
0: On May 28th, 55-year-old Irvel LeBaron was convicted of orchestrating the murder of Rulon Allred and was sentenced to life in prison. He would spend what little remained of his life behind bars.
1: Locked in his tiny concrete cell in the point of the mountain state prison in Draper, Utah, Ervil no longer had access to most of the tactics he'd used to keep his followers in his thrall. Without the ability to speak face-to-face, his grip on the remaining members of the Church of the Lamb was all but broken.
0: But Ervil could still write. For nearly a year after his sentencing, Ervil spent every waking hour hard at work on a new magnum opus.
1: In May of 1981, he completed a 600-page manuscript titled the Book of New Covenants. In it, he detailed a line of succession for the Church of the Lamb's leadership, starting with his eldest son, Arturo.
0: In keeping with Ervil's tireless thirst for vengeance, the manuscript listed over 50 people who the prophet had selected for blood atonement. Among those listed were detectives, prison guards, and cult members who had abandoned the Church of the Lamb.
1: The Book of New Covenants would be Ervil's final commandment.
0: Early in the morning of August 16, 1981, a prison guard making his rounds checked Ervil's cell. The prophet of the Church of the Lamb was doing push-ups on the floor
1: beside his cot. When the guard passed by 3 hours later, he found Ervil lying motionless on the floor with his right hand grasped tightly around his throat. He had died of a heart attack at 56 years old.
0: That very morning, Ervil's brother, Verlin, was in a head-on collision outside of Puebla, Mexico, and died instantly. Ervil's faithful followers postulated that their prophet's first act upon entering heaven had been to take vengeance on his nemesis.
1: Verlin would not be the last of Ervil's enemies to fall. One by one, the people who Ervil named for blood atonement in the Book of New Covenants started to die.
0: Ervil's 20-year-old son Isaac had earned a spot on the hit list for cooperating with the police. According to journalist Evan Moore, the boy's testimony against his father was the most damning of any witness. When he took the stand, Isaac told the prosecutors that he expected his father to retaliate by having him killed.
1: He was right. On June 21st, 1983, Isaac was found dead in the room of his sister and brother-in-law Lillian and Mark Chinneweth, having been shot in the head. Because he had recently spent time in a psychiatric hospital, police determined that the death had been a suicide, but several facts pointed to the contrary.
0: First, multiple bullets were found in the wall behind Isaac, Second, his heart had stopped beating hours before police arrived, despite his sister's claim that she called immediately
1: after hearing the gunshot. Meanwhile, even more LeBaron blood was shed down in Mexico. After Ervil's death, the remaining faithful lambs of God established a new settlement at Rancho La Jolla.
0: In the Book of New Covenants, Ervil specified his line of inheritance for generations to come. Despite his careful planning, Rancho La Jolla almost immediately descended into infighting and civil war.
1: Between 1983 and 1987, Arturo and nearly a dozen of Ervil's former lieutenants were killed in gun battles with one another. Two of his wives, Yolanda Rios and Lorna Chinoweth, were strangled to death and buried in shallow graves.
0: Three of the men who had killed for Ervil Brothers Mark and Dwayne Chinoweth and their friend Eddie Marston went into hiding in Houston and Irving, Texas. The assassins had received spots in the Book of New Covenants for attempting to leave the Church of the Lamb after Irville was found guilty.
1: At 4 p.m. on June 27, 1988, Eddie Marston responded to a request to pick up a damaged washer and dryer set. When he arrived at the pickup location and pulled into the driveway, A dark truck drove up behind him to pin him in. He made it a few steps from his car before the truck's driver pumped him full of lead. At
0: the same moment, Dwayne Chinoweth responded to a similar call in Houston. He made the mistake of taking his eight-year-old daughter, Jennifer, with him.
1: Jennifer screamed as bullets ripped her father to shreds, alerting the gunman to her presence in the back of Dwayne's car. Police found her body only minutes later.
0: Later that day, Mark Chinneweth was found in the back office of his appliance store, riddled full of bullets. The Chinowiths and Marston had all been killed within minutes of 4 p.m.
1: To those who knew him, it seemed that Erva LeBaron had risen from the grave to give a final message. Even death could not prevent him from enacting vengeance on his enemies. Many of Ervil's 50-plus children spent the next decade in hiding, terrified that the Prophet's loyal followers would one day comfort them.
0: During the 1990s, the last active members of Ervil's church were hunted by the police. One by one, they were arrested and convicted. Ervil's son, Heber LeBaron, the last leader of the Lamb of God, received a life sentence for orchestrating the Chinnewith and Marston murders the last active Lamb of God was apprehended in 2010.
1: The fact that Erva LeBaron's bloodletting continued so long after his death is a testament to the power the Mormon Manson held over his followers. His 13th wife, Rena Chenoweth, described the painful process of coming to terms with her experience. During our five-year marriage and for many years afterward, I had to live with some ghastly memories. I killed a man in cold blood, acting on my husband's orders, which he claimed were commands from God. I spent a year and a half running from the law, five months in jail awaiting trial for murder, and many years afterward, trying to block out my past.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back with another episode next Tuesday.
1: You can find more episodes of Cults as well as all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory.
0: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Maggie Admire. This episode of Cults was written by Andrew Kelleher and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.